Welcome back to Proverbs 910 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth. We're your hosts and co-founders of Proverbs 910 Ministries, Chris Paxson and Rose Spiller. In this episode, we finish up our two-part series on Mary, the mother of Jesus. In the last episode, we dispelled some wrong beliefs about Mary using scripture and began to look at what scripture does say about her. We continue this in this episode. If you remember in the last episode, we looked at how Mary wasn't given a choice about carrying Jesus. And while that is certainly true, we still need to give her respect for her role in God's redemptive plan. Think about how highly we regard Abraham and Paul, among others, none of whom were given a choice in their service, but instead were chosen by God to fulfill his purpose and his plan. Certainly, the woman chosen by God to be the mother of the Savior of his people deserves as much respect as any of the others. As Elizabeth said to her, blessed are you among women. To be chosen by the Almighty Father to be the mother of his son is without a doubt an incredible blessing, but it's also a huge responsibility. Chris, there were nights I laid awake wondering if I was a good mother to my kid. I wondered if I had done anything to screw them up. (laughs) Had I shown them enough love, enough discipline? Did I teach them enough about Jesus? Mary was a real person. She wasn't sinless or divine, so she had real struggles, she had real successes, she had real thoughts and real concerns, and she had real problems like we all do. If it were me, one of my struggles would have been parenting Jesus along with my other children. I know, I would have had that same problem because I would have been smacking him with a a wooden spoon or something and then I wouldn't ever have to do that with Jesus. There's no indication she played favorites with her children. But come on, I love my two boys more than anything. But if I had another son who was God, I'm pretty sure he would be my favorite. Me too, without a doubt. And the fact that Jesus was sinless meant he didn't talk back to his parents, didn't tell them they were so unfair, and he didn't even roll his eyes at them. I can't imagine. That eye roll. Seriously though, the magnitude of what God asked her to do is incredible. So like we said, God was sovereign over all of it, over every second of every day, and he sustained her through it. But that doesn't take away from the fact that it was a huge responsibility for her to be Jesus' mother. And as we'll see, every indication is that she did a great job. Even if she didn't always understand exactly what Jesus' mission was, she followed his lead, letting him be who he needed to be, loving and supporting him, even to the point of watching him be tortured and killed on the cross. And we are going to talk about that. But let's pick up where we left off in the last episode with Mary returning to Nazareth after visiting her cousin Elizabeth. After the encouragement God gave her with Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist, she gets even more encouragement from God back in Nazareth. An angel had visited Joseph and told him that Mary was telling the truth and what she had conceived was from the Holy Spirit. The marriage is on. And we all know the story from here. Caesar Augustus ordered a census to be taken for the purpose of collecting more taxes. Because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to the town of David in Bethlehem. It was a long and arduous journey for a very pregnant Mary who arrived only to find there was no place available for her to give birth except a dirty stable where animals were housed. And even after giving birth in that stable, certainly feeling exhausted from their journey, Going through labor and birth and overwhelmed by this tiny baby and who he was, she graciously accepts a visit from shepherds. Like we said, we don't know how much Mary understood about Jesus' mission, especially at this point, but she clearly understood that his birth was not about her. 
She knew Jesus was the Messiah and the Son of God, but he was still her son. And we get a glimpse of a real mom moment in Luke 2.19. And I love this. It says, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I've thought about this picture so many times. Mary had to know that someday Jesus would leave her to do what he came to do. He was never meant to be hers to keep. So she's soaking in all these memories while she can. You're right. I can't imagine that either. And when Jesus is eight days old, she and Joseph take him to the temple and they present him before the Lord, as was the Jewish custom. There they encounter two prophets, Simon and Anna. Simon prophesies not only about Jesus, but about what's in store for Mary also. He says in Luke 2, 34 and 35, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simon's prophecy about Jesus alludes back to Isaiah chapter 8 verses 14 and 15, which says, And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. And when we look at the prophecy Simon had about Mary, it was probably a bit of a shock to her. Gabriel had told her in Luke 1, 31 to 33, that he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Joseph was told in Matthew 1, 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Neither of these prophecies from any angle say anything about Mary's suffering. Since a prophet only spoke word for word what God directed them to, even though Jesus is only eight days old, God through Simon is beginning to prepare Mary for what's to come. It's an incredibly merciful thing for him to do. Theologian Adam Clark says this about Simon's prophecy to Mary. Thou also, as well as thy son, shall die a martyr for the truth. But as this is a metaphor used by the most respectable Greek writers to express the most pungent sorrow, it may here refer to the anguish Mary must have felt when standing beside the cross of her tortured son. In other words, when Mary watches Jesus die on the cross, a part of her will die also. Any parent who has lost a child can probably relate to this. I'm sure. And at some point between Jesus' presentation at the temple And when he's two years old, some Persian kings, a.k.a. the wise men, go to the home of Mary and Joseph to see Jesus. Matthew 2.11 says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. There's meaning behind each of the gifts, but overall, this is God sovereignly providing for Mary and Joseph. They had no idea at this point, but right after the wise men's visit, God told them to flee to Egypt with Jesus to avoid King Herod killing Jesus. It's very probable that these gifts were the means they sustained themselves while they were in Egypt. Once the threat of Herod is passed, being prompted by an angel, Mary and Joseph return to their hometown of Nazareth with Jesus, where Luke 2.40 tells us, Jesus grew in stature and wisdom and in favor with God and men. There's always been speculation as to why the Bible doesn't include a lot of details about Jesus' early life. But first, his early life is not the essential part of his mission. And second, 
The fact that only one incident in his childhood is written about probably indicates that Jesus' early years were pretty ordinary. And Chris, the incident you're referring to is when Jesus is 12 and his family go to the temple to celebrate Passover. One day into their journey back home, Mary and Joseph notice Jesus isn't with them. So they backtrack to search for him. They find him at the temple teaching and questioning the most learned Jewish men who were amazed at his knowledge. Luke chapter 2, 48 to 51 says, When they found him teaching, Mary said, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Chris, at this moment, Mary's probably not thinking of Jesus as the Son of God. She's thinking of him as her son, who she's been frantically searching for for over a day and had no idea if he was safe. What mom whose child has disappeared in a store can't relate to this? When you finally find your kid, you're torn between hugging them and spanking them. I know. I'm not sure which I would have done. Maybe both. (laughs) Uh, But Jesus gets it. And that's why at first he gently reminds them who he is when he says, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But then he has compassion on them. In Luke 2, 50-51, he says, And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Jesus puts aside his own agenda for now to put his parents' needs first. And from the next verse, you get the feeling that something must have clicked with Mary. Maybe after the initial upset of not knowing where he was, she processed the scene she had seen in the temple. Her 12-year-old son was teaching and questioning older, learned Jewish men, and they were amazed by him. Maybe it clicked that Jesus was doing exactly what he should be doing, yet he was willing to walk away to be obedient to her and Joseph. Luke 2, verse 51b says, And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Again, she's storing up these precious memories. And the next time we see Mary is at a wedding in Cana. Both she and Jesus were there, but there's no mention of Joseph here or anywhere after this. All indications are that he's probably died. Mary is helping out with the reception in some capacity. This is another familiar story. They run out of wine, which could have been a huge embarrassment for the hosts. And Mary comes to Jesus and says in John 2, 2, they have no more wine. To which Jesus replies, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Mary tells the servants to do as Jesus says. Mary isn't asking Jesus to run to the store and buy more wine. (laughs) Jesus has been her son for 30 years. At this point, Mary knows Jesus better than anyone. She knows the miraculous events surrounding his birth. She knows the miraculous events surrounding his cousin John the Baptist's birth. And she knows that John the Baptist's ministry, which he was currently actively doing, was to announce the coming of Jesus the Messiah. So while it appears that Jesus had not yet performed a miracle, Mary knows full well that he can. Rose, we should talk about Jesus addressing Mary as woman in this passage. Jesus was not like, woman? Why do you involve me? Like a reprimand. (laughs) Calling Mary woman has two purposes. First, he uses it as a term of endearment. He uses it again when he's hanging on the cross and tells John that Mary is now his mother and says to Mary, woman, here is your son. In agony and dying, one of Jesus' last thoughts was that Mary would be taken care of. This shows how highly he regarded her. Right. And the second purpose of Jesus calling Mary woman and not mother, was that Jesus was distancing himself from Mary. While growing up, as we just saw in scripture, Jesus submitted to the authority of his parents. 
But he's a grown man now, and he's about to start his ministry as the savior of God's people. Jesus, fully God, was about to establish his kingdom on earth. So while he absolutely loved Mary and regarded her highly, their relationship was about to change. The only authority Jesus will now submit to is God the Father. And we see proof of this in Luke eleven twenty-seven and 28. A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Rose, this goes back to what we looked at in the last episode, that Jesus says his family, his mother, his brothers, and his sisters are not those related to him by blood, but by adoption. Those who were chosen by God to be adopted into the family of God through the blood, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And from everything we'll see in a minute in scripture, Mary did go on to be part of the family of God. But at this point, at this wedding, we see that she doesn't fully understand the change in their relationship from mother and son to follower and Lord. So even after Jesus says, my hour has not yet come, she tells the servants to do as Jesus says, fully expecting Jesus to help her out. And just as we saw at the temple, we see Jesus again having compassion for Mary's lack of understanding. So he performs his first miracle of turning jars of water into wine. There's a lesson for Mary here. She just wanted Jesus, as her son, to provide some more wine. But Jesus, as her Lord and Savior, provides the very best wine anyone has tasted. While the change in their relationship may have been difficult for her at first, their new relationship would be better than she could have ever imagined. And Chris, we already talked about the passage where Mary and Jesus' brothers come to see him in Matthew 12. So we'll fast forward to the next time we see Mary, and that's at Jesus' crucifixion. We've already read one verse from it, but let's read all three verses. John 19, verses 25 to 27 say, So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Chris, we started this episode joking about how hard it was to be a parent of Jesus. But can we even begin to imagine what it was like for this mother to watch her son beaten, tortured, and crucified? I think there are a lot of parents who can understand the agony of watching your child die from sickness, disease, hunger, and other things. And there are parents who have suffered the horrific pain of losing their child in undeserved violence that was perpetrated on them. But I don't think anyone in history has endured what Mary endured. Mary watched as Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, who forsook heaven and took on human flesh to save his people, who was the least deserving of anyone to suffer, was mocked tortured and killed in the most hideous and painful way in all of history. And more than that, Jesus, who was also that sweet baby Mary had cuddled and nursed, her precious son, was being tortured and killed. Jesus, of course, knows all this, which is why even though he had distanced their relationship as mother and son, one of his last acts was to ensure Mary would be taken care of. Jesus had other brothers, but at this point, none of them were following him. James and Jude would follow him after his resurrection, but they weren't at this point. So Jesus wants to be sure someone he loves and trusts as a close personal friend will look after his earthly mother, so he chooses John to do it. It's such a beautiful picture of a mother's love and devotion to put herself through the agony so that she could be there for her son. Mary, like the apostles, couldn't possibly grasp all that was going on. 
Even those closest to Jesus, like Mary, who understood that he was the Messiah and had come to save his people, and even after he had told them certain things that were going to happen, couldn't comprehend what was happening. With Jesus' death, there went their hope. All four Gospels record women coming to Jesus' tomb on Sunday morning to anoint his body. But they specify who these women were differently. Matthew 27 verse 61, for example, says Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. It's too long to go into why we know this, but this other Mary was Jesus' aunt, the one who stood by his mother Mary at the cross. Mark 16.1 names Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome as the women going to the tomb. Luke 23.55 names them as the women who had come with him from Galilee. And John 20 verse 1 only names Mary Magdalene. Matthew, Mark, and John had reasons for only naming the specific women that they did and not the others. But nowhere do they say their list is exhaustive. If we take Luke's account of the women who had come with him from Galilee, we can assume that his mother was among them. After all she had put herself through to be there for Jesus, it's almost unthinkable that she wouldn't do this last service for him. Besides, the reason she was at his crucifixion was most likely because she had followed him up from Galilee. Exactly. And then, Chris, the last time we see Mary is in Acts 1.14, after Jesus ascends into heaven and his followers gather to choose a replacement for Judas Iscariot. Luke says, All of these women with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Mary's come full circle. Mary, who had authority over Jesus, her son, now fully submits to the authority of Jesus, her Lord and Savior. And we pray that all who are listening have done the same. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have enjoyed our two episodes on Mary and are enjoying this Women in Scripture series. Please consider liking us and following us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also subscribe and follow us on our website, www.proverbs910ministries.com. And as always, we'd love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. Have a blessed day.